is Sportsnet Today with Aaron Vickers and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Live! When I don't get to say that a lot because I do a lot of pre-recorded stuff. From the DL Basement Systems downtown studios, it is Sportsnet Today. I'm Peter Klein. He is Aaron Vickers. Welcome to the program, everyone. Mr. Vickers, how are you today? I am doing great on the walkover. Somebody complimented my backpack. We're also six hours away from a fantasy football draft. Yes. I am just buzzing yeah. right now. You draft can tell. day is an exciting time. What like, was the compliment? I backpack. Yeah. What, someone said that's a nice backpack? Oh, yeah. It is a, it is a nice backpack. It's, it's my back-to-school backpack. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You've learned about technology mom, in the last hour? My mom makes my lunches still. <laughs> I got a juice box. Oh, man. Juice boxes, underrated. Like, that that feels like a childish thing. You just have a juice box every now and then. Phenomenal. What were the kits that you could build little mini sandwiches with? Snackables? Oh, yes. Snack, uh, Lunchables. Lunchables. Yeah. Those are good. Have I bought some of those as an adult? Yeah. Yeah, I have. They're great. If I just, like, don't say anything in awkward <laughs> silence, how long will it take for you to continue down this oh, no, road? I, I would roll with it, for sure. Uh, but I, I saw... <laughs> I saw a meme that was like, no wonder our generation likes um, charcuterie boards and mimosas <laughs> when we just, we grew up on Sunny D and and Lunchables. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So it's going to be a good show today. Um, we, we have <laughs> uh, Vickers take Darren Flutie with your first pick. Already the fantasy advice coming in. Uh, we're going to be talking some fantasy football. We have Julian McKenzie. Not even Doug. No. Darren. Darren Flutie. Yeah. Hamil- oh. Hamilton Tiger Cats. Great. Woo. Uh, we have Julian McKenzie coming up. He was at the press conference in Lethbridge yesterday, I believe. Yeah, he was there. Yesterday, yeah. Um, so we're going to be chatting with him about all of that. Ben Shulman coming up at 3 o'clock talking about your Toronto Blue Jays. We have a stamp support, and we are going to yell at each other about the Calgary Flames. So it should be a fun next few hours. I'm looking forward to it. And and again, if there's any unsolic- well, I'm, I'm unsoliciting solicited advice for my fantasy football draft because you and I are going to go head to head. You've trash talked me a little bit. Yes. I'm going to learn all about your strategy and allegedly you don't care. No, I was thinking about that coming in because we're going to talk fantasy football here to kick off. We are in uh, Calgary media fantasy football draft tonight. And I was like, ah, do I, do I kind of sandbag it here? Do I go, oh, you know what you should do? Patrick Mahomes, first overall pick. But you know what? I don't even care. I will go Owen Nolan on, it was Dominic Kasich, right? And just yep. call my shot, top right corner, and hit that one. I will let you know the fastball's coming, and it'll blow right past you. Don't even care. And I'm old enough to get that reference, <laughs> yeah. unlike everybody in the building here. Right, yes, yeah. Unlike certainly everyone uh, in that room over there with uh, Azam and Taylor helping us out. Uh, I, I got the reference. Oh, I good. have been, for the past hour, I have been roasted for being a child. You know what's weird? That was 1,000% my role when I was here the first time. I, I was the, 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 the weird youngin who was coming in and didn't know anything about how things were in them olden days. So, Taylor, take a look in this uh, time-traveling mirror, and you will be Peter Klein in no time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like I was, I was that young kid who didn't know any better until the second I got let go, and then I come back in here, and I'm grizzled with a mustache and gray hair at 33, and now I'm I'm the old one. Well, Life I mean, if we're, fast. if we're actually doing this mathematically, <laughs> I'm the old one. Yes. You're the gap between me and the producers. So right. I'm just going to talk to you, and you're going to relay whatever message I need in the uh, hip slang that the kids use these days. Right, yeah, I'll be your translator. The, mid, the mids and the... Uh, I don't even know another one. All I know is mid. That's fine. I, I worked at a uh, super young hyper-local website for a while, so I, I should be able to, to get that, so... Uh, which I always found very fun in some of the, those group chats. But anyway, we have gone uh, a little bit away from the uh, the actual point. A uh, couple on the text line, which you can get in at, at 960-960. Someone get Taylor a Lunchable. If you're doing that, uh, share with the rest of the class, because I want one too. Also, I'm not going to take Nathan Rourke. Come on, guys. Like, good advice <laughs> is welcome. Bad advice, I'll just make fun of you on air. Yeah, no, that's fair. I'm talking to you 5604. We were talking going in. I, I don't know how to approach tonight's draft. Because th- there are people, like I, I know, 
you follow the NFL closely um, from a, a wagering standpoint and from a <laughs> fantasy standpoint. Um, I, I know like Steinberg, I, I've been in leagues with him. Logo, I've been in leagues with him. Um, Matty Rose. Have you Matty been... Rose, I've Thank been in you. a league with him. Um, and there are other people in the league who I, I feel fairly confident would know what they are doing and taking this seriously. But there are also a couple who are saying in the, the group chat that they don't know what they're doing. But I like one of them, I'll, I'll just say it. One of them is Eric Francis. I... I would not put it past Francis to be like, oh, yeah, I don't know what, what there's running backs in this league, right? And then he'll come into the draft. Well, actually, I'm taking Dak Prescott because his schedule adjusted EPA per down was blah, 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 for fifth in the league. So I'm taking Dak Prescott. Like, I think he could be sand uh, sandbagging us here right now. I wouldn't put it past him. But at the same time, I don't believe he cares enough. Mm. Like, I think this is pure entertainment. It's throwaway money. Right. And he's just going to come in and, and take the highest ADP guy every pick and have a few beers. He's I don't basically going to be the, the auto draft. Yeah, he's going to auto draft, but uh, <laughs> manually. Yes. That's the way to go about it. Yeah. But you, you said you're going to just fastball right down the middle. So yep. let's just jump right into it. I've got some burning questions for you, Peter Klein. All right, let's do it. So as, yeah, a, we have... as a guy that's stacking up six drafts he has to do. Yes. Yeah, that gets challenging after a bit. Number one, who are you taking? Where are you going? With the number one overall number pick? Number one overall pick. And we don't know our order yet, but no, I'm going to hold you to this too. Oh, yeah. That's We're going to lock it in if yeah. the order comes in and Peter Klein is number one. At number one, I will look you dead in the eyes and take Justin Jefferson with the the first overall pick. Um, I th The other options, like Christian McCaffrey, is certainly obviously very good, right? And he's going to be in an extremely good offense in, right. in San Francisco. Catches the ball, can run, like all of those things. Uh, Jamar Chase is just a beast and gets a, a lot of the target volume. But Justin Jefferson, I think, is the most talented receiver in the league. And I do think that there is a gap between him and Jamar Chase and the rest of the field. So I'm going to go with uh, a kid who runs every route in the tree, does it incredibly smooth, and has an offense that loves to throw the football around. I'm going to uh, parlay this into a subsection question. Okay, a how, cons up. how concerned are you about CMC? And when he went over to San Fran late last season, I think I saw the stat where his fantasy points per game dropped from about 23 to 16. You got Eli Mitchell there, who's super talented. Very, very clearly, CMC is the number one guy. Yeah. But do you worry at all about the production from CMC when they're able to spread the ball out away the way they can, whether it's getting Mitchell on the field, Debo with some of the gadget plays they run with him, Ayuk, Kittle, yeah. so on and so forth. Are you worried that there's too much talent there? Or is that just, hey, they're going to be on the field a lot longer then? I think Kyle Shanahan got a new toy at Christmas. And instead of like reading the instructions or going <laughs> to a, a YouTube uh, how-to, he just went, yeah, let's just plug this thing in and see how it goes. I think he's now had an off-season to read the instructions on it. The thing that worries me about CMC, um, as someone who has owned him in the past, Dude gets hurt a lot, you know, and that that can be a, a bit of a problem for him. And that's another reason why, like, everyone can get hurt. It's football. It's a collision sport. Like, people get hit all of the time. People get hurt all of the time. Um, so, uh, like, anyone can get hurt. But we have seen a history of, of Christian McCaffrey getting banged up where we, we don't have that with Justin Jefferson just yet. Anybody else? You mentioned the top three that I think is a pretty clear consensus top three. Anybody else you'd even flirt with the conversation of 1.1? Not really. No, oh, I, yeah. I've seen some places uh, say Tyree Kill could be in that conversation. Um, I, I've seen some places that say Cooper Cup can be in that conversation. He is incredibly talented, but that offense scares me this year. So uh, I am I am not going with that. That goes into my first burning question that I have for you. Looking at uh, the players that are available, Mr. Vickers, where is the perfect spot to be drafting in the first round? That's an interesting one because very clearly you all you want to get a top game-breaking league-winning talent. And there's three, four, five guys. We've kind of mentioned them already that, that have that. But in our particular circumstance, we're in a 14-team league. It's going to be a snake draft. So if you draft five, you're not drafting again for a really long time. So instead of getting two potential league winners you're stuck with one so i'm gonna go looking at sort of the adp and the list that i've got i wouldn't hate drafting around six yeah. maybe seven which oh right in the middle of a 14 okay sweet <laughs> but there's enough depth at the top for me that i feel like at six or seven somebody's gonna reach for somebody that's gonna jump in the top five or top six um Maybe maybe Francis takes a quarterback. Who knows? <laughs> That's a challenge, Eric Francis. I dare you. 
I've got some suggestions. Dak was a good one, actually. You can uh, you can take Dak in the first round if you want. Um, yeah. I'm going to go somewhere around six or seven because I want that depth. And with that, depending on what strategy you go, whether you line up with just you know best player available, or if you want two wide receivers off the in the first two rounds, or two running backs, even if you want to split them, you're going to get quality at seven coming from one to seven, and then back fourteen to seven. So I'm going to go right in the middle, somewhere around six, seven, eight is where I hope mm-hmm. my uh, my aptly named team, Aaron, gets to pick. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been, from my own personal podcast, been doing mock drafts um, from each spot in the draft. I'm up to, to number 10, uh, which came out today. But I I have found six or seven have been like a real sweet spot. Because in that area, and again, I'll just call my shots. I've been getting either Saquon Barkley or Nick Chubb with the uh, the running back pick. And then mm. coming back around... Um, Devonte Adams has been there at times. Uh, Garrett Wilson has been there at times. So getting an elite level wide receiver and, um, in, in some of the instances where they're not, I don't mind taking Josh Allen in the, the second round. Cause I am someone uh, again, and this can go into my next question as I'm just like seamlessly going. Um, I guess I'm stealing yours and, and doubling up on questions. So, uh, maybe I won't do that, but I want to get one of the higher end quarterbacks this year. I, I don't, I don't want to be in the muck with Geno Smith or, or Kirk Cousins this year. I, I want one of the higher quarterbacks, so I don't mind going Josh Allen with that, that wraparound pick. Okay, but let me ask you this then. Like, you're, the top three are clearly Mahomes, Hurts, Allen. Mm-hmm. But where do you feel on a guy like Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow or even Justin Fields, who Justin Fields had a heck of a year last season? Yeah. They're definitely a tier below those, those top three, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I would necessarily, I don't want yeah. to say reach to get the top three, three guys no sorry but I, i'm comfortable I with the uh four five six yeah i i should have clarified i i'm comfortable with like those three like the the mahomes hurts uh allen mm-hmm. i i'm also comfortable with like you mentioned heel uh fields herbert um lamar jackson or uh trevor lawrence i am fine with that it's when the the adp gets to deshaun watson um <laughs> and in the that area of guys where i i just kind of go nope nope don't want to be don't want to be playing there i will I will go with one of the, those higher end guys. One of the top eight QBs is is sort of where I'm comfortable. Yeah. I mean, surely I would want Mahomes, Hurts, or Allen, but I don't necessarily want to go out of my way to to pick them in the third round. Right. Uh, maybe third round. We'll see, depending on how things fall. But you're right in the sense that, and in a 14-team league or even in a 12-team league, whatever you happen to be in, if you're on the wrong end of the list, the draft order, and QB start coming off the board, you're going to get to a position where you have no choice, but you're going to be stuck with a Deshaun Watson or a Dak or a Daniel Jones. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, or a Tua, which I don't know how you feel about Tua. Obviously the injury concerns are real, but then again, he's coming in healthy. Um, but yeah, you do not want to be on the bad end of a QB run. No, no, I, this year specifically quarterback is, is something where I like you, you can have success streaming quarterbacks 100%. I, I don't want to be that guy this year. I, I want one of the guys who I'm comfortable with uh, every each and every week. Uh, all right, it, your your second question is up here. Who's the one guy you'll refuse to take in the first three rounds? Is there a guy that's you know somewhere around thirty to forty, or even it can even be in the top twenty, where you're like, nope, I am steering clear of that guy no matter what. So there are um, th- there are a couple of for me. For one. Um, they're, they're actually both Cowboys. Tony Pollard and CD Lamb are, are the ones for me. Tony Pollard right now is, oh, this is rankings. Uh, but Tony Pollard is going like back end of the second round. I think Tony Pollard is an electric running back. I thought that he should have got much more of the workload in Dallas than he did for the last two seasons. But I think where he is going, you are banking on best case scenario. Like that there, when you are drafting him like back end of the second round, you are 100% needing him to hit every bit of upside he might potentially have with that offense. So that that is why I'm steering clear of him. And and for CeeDee Lamb, I don't trust what that offense is going to look like with more McCarthy involvement this year. Now that Kellen Moore has gone to the, the Chargers, I, I think Mike McCarthy is one of the more overrated coaches of the last 20 years, uh, specifically offensively. And I think he is going to bring this offense down a little bit. So um, whatever the opposite of rising tides raises all ships, I'm I'm doing that with the, the Dallas Cowboys. I want nothing to do with them this year. Now, I can't tell if you're, you're bluffing me or not, because on the list that I've seen, Pollard comes in at about an RB6 and CeeDee Lamb wide receiver 7. Mm-hmm. 
you're selling on that. You're move on. You're just scrapping them from the list altogether. Yeah. Yeah, move along. Those someone else can can grab those guys. Um so yeah, here looking at ADP right now Tony Pollard is going 17th overall and uh as running back 7 according to uh Fantasy Pros. Josh Jacobs is behind him. Uh Jonathan Taylor. I I Tell you what, I'll take Tony Pollard before Jonathan Taylor. Um, but Joe Mixon, I'll take before Pollard. Um, Ramondre Stevenson is behind him. I'll take that before Pollard. I would even consider, and Andy brought this up yesterday, I would consider Damian Pierce from Houston over, over Tony Pollard. I am just, I, I think you are absolutely 100% looking at like every bit of upside needing to hit to back up RB7 for uh, Tony Pollard this year. Interesting. Mine is Drake London, but that's just because I had him last year. So now I'm just, <laughs> I mean, when Mariota is your QB, I'm thinking when it was Mariota back yeah. last season, uh, just, just gun shy. Yeah. Just, I like the kids got all the talent in the world. Don't get me wrong. He's ADP 67. So a little bit outside of kind of the parameters I gave you. Um, but he sandwiched between DeAndre Hopkins and Tyler Lockett. I'm not going to necessarily jump at either of those names either, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know what Desmond Riddler is. He's the number one thirty rank or number 31 rank QB on fantasy pros. I don't know how much I know how much better Drake London can be with a with a throwing quarterback instead of a guy that just kind of scrambles for five yards every every so often. Yeah, but uh, Drake London to me is the guy that just I don't know I don't know and, like, if I can do that to myself again. And this year it's Desmond Ritter the the quarterback in Atlanta, and that is not going to be a much more fun ride. Right. I like I like everything about Atlanta except for the quarterback, which is just a, a minor detail there. Yeah, you don't need one of those, do you? No, no, it's a very very in, in invaluable position. Um, all right, for me to kind of tie into to what I was talking about earlier, how comfortable are you waiting on quarterback and tight end this year? We've already kind of discussed the quarterback where I think the, the waters get a little bit murky. Um, but the, the two positions that in the, the fantasy world this season, uh, this season, I've seen them called onesies because it's they're the two positions where you only need one of them right. and you only start one of them. So they're called a onesie. Um, the, the two onesie positions, how comfortable are you waiting on them? Cause that has been a, a strategy for drafts for a few years now to just, Wait on quarterback and tight end. This one's curious because I'm going to have a follow-up question that ties into the tight ends. Okay. So one, I'm okay with not, if I have a top five pick, I'm okay not taking Travis Kelsey. Yeah. But with that, I have to make for darn sure I'm getting one of the top four, top five tight ends in this draft. Yeah. And just doing some research, doing some mock drafts, so on and so forth. I think I can wait till the fourth, fifth, six rounds to get one of them in a 14 team draft. Yeah. Which to me, the value propositions there, if I can just hesitate long enough and again, don't get caught on a bad run. I have a sneaking suspicion. Quarterbacks are going to start peeling off in the third in our draft. Yeah. I think and so I do not want to be left holding the bag on having to like, I've had Dak in another league two years in a row. I don't want Dak again. <laughs> I don't want to be in that situation where I'm looking at Daniel Jones. I picked up Geno Smith on the waiver wire and he was a godsend last year yeah. in, a, in a super flex league. I should preface that super flex yes. league. So a little different than what we're doing. Yeah. So you really don't want to get caught with an average QB when there's eight guys that to me clearly stand on the rest. So I'm thinking, depending on if we see somebody balk a little bit and okay, maybe Peter Klein in the second round is going Jalen Hurts or Josh Allen, then maybe that kicks something off. I don't want to be caught on the wrong end of that. So the no. second I smell trouble, I'm going to I'm going to grab a quarterback. Yeah. Now I, let's double back. Okay. Travis Kelsey. How high are you willing to go on him? I I know Andy yesterday said 4 and that opened my eyes quite a bit. Uh I'm not there with him. So for me, uh just doing this quickly off the top of my head, I would say right around like 9 or 10. For, for Travis Kelsey is where I, I get comfortable. There's just a little bit of me. It's like, you know, one year he's going to break down, right? Like, I, I get he is the the number one option for the most talented quarterback the sport's ever seen on the defending Super Bowl champions and the clear number one option. Right. So, But I, I just worry. I think he's 34 years old. Um, and it, he, he doesn't exactly, you know conserve fuel to steal a, a, a racing term. 33. 33 years he'll old. He'll be turning 34 in October, so okay, both so answers are correct. Yeah. Um, he'll, he'll be spending most of the season as a, a 34-year-old. I, I just I just worry that there is going to be a part where he breaks down, and I've used a, a first-round pick 
on now a 34-year-old tight end. So that concerns me. We You do get to a point, um, like right around where it's like Stephon Diggs, CeeDee Lamb, some of those guys. That's where I, I start to to open my eyes a bit more to the, the wonders of Travis Kelsey. I'm learning so much about your strategy. I'm really hoping you're annoying me. We should have the conversation before we went on air. And, like, let's completely throw off the segment so nobody has a <laughs> yeah. clue what we're actually going to do and give false information. But that wouldn't be fair to the listener. We're no. trying to actually be helpful here. Yeah. And Travis Kelsey, first overall, do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Where are we at? What do you got for me? Uh, all right. My next question is there a team's situation that you like to the point where you're going to try to, to target a couple of players off of them this year? Man, if you could just collect everything Buffalo, and I don't know how it would necessarily work, but if you get Josh Allen, you get Diggs, you get their defense, you get Bass the kicker, just, like, lock, just, that just lock that in and you're good to go. But I mean, anything Eagles, Browns, Chiefs, Ravens, I'm really liking the Lions as well. Oh, okay. Um, anybody that's got a good O-line, is is going to be a plus for me. Yeah. And you can quickly research, you know, top 10 O-lines and things of that sort. I want teams that are going to give the quarterback as much time as possible or create as many holes for a running back coming through. That's basically what I'm looking at is, come on, man, get that O-line working. Hopefully it stays healthy because that's an X factor that you that's just out of your control. Yeah. But I'm looking at just, again, the Eagles, Browns, Chiefs, for me, Ravens. They're going to be on the field a lot, those offenses. Yeah. And sure, they're going to have two, three, four weapons in each offense that are just, oh, well, this might dilute my guys. Well, no, because you're going to be on the field for way longer. Your your average time with possession is going to be through the roof. So as long as they're on the field, that kind of changes the, oh, well, they've got three or four passing options that they can go to. So for me, those are the teams. Do you have anything different? Is there one or two of those that I've mentioned that you'd like to narrow down and really hone in on so I can take notes? So I know exactly. <laughs> I know you're not going Dallas. No. Yeah. So hit me. Where are you I, going? I'm really interested in Baltimore's this year. Um, Todd Munkin coming in as the offensive coordinator. He was the the OC with the, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs who the last couple of years have done pretty well. Um, and the thing that I've liked about him is that there, like, if you just said, oh, what's a Todd Munkin offense? I can't really tell you because they'll go into a game with a, a team that is vulnerable to the run and he'll run it down their throat. And then he'll go into a game with the, a team vulnerable to the pass and he'll air the ball out. Like, they, they were very much a chameleon offense. And I think he's going to bring a little bit of that to Baltimore this year. So if you can kind of stack a Lamar Jackson with a Zay Flowers, because he's going um, in like seventh, eighth, ninth round area. I, I think that would be really interesting. One for us tonight. Um, it's a 14 team league, as you've mentioned. AJ Brown is going as the, the number 14 wideers or as the, the number 14 pick in drafts. If you had that 14th pick, it would be really tempting to double up and go AJ Brown, Jalen Hurts with your, your first two picks and just absolutely love life. Um, with the, the Philadelphia Eagles once again annihilating defenses in the NFC this year. I can't tell if you're bluffing again. <laughs> to me, that's a little high to, to be sniffing out a quarterback, but I mean, I love a good stack. But then you're not I picking again a for stack. a long time, right? And now you're waiting and waiting, and then you complete the set with the running back, and then just... You can get the, the running back. Uh, Swift you can, you can is get, going a little bit later on. You can on, get him so later, yeah. so you could really go Eagles, Eagles, Eagles. Yeah. If you really wanted to. And then later on, you can get the, the defense, which I, I think is a, another good defense this year. So there you go. Okay, let's do this then. And I didn't have this one prepped, but I'm very curious. Where are you going defense kicker? When do you start looking at those things? <laughs> I, I know actually, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. No, that's fine. One, and, of, one, of, my, um, one of my questions was, how early is too early for a defense? So I, I am absolutely, let's just go into this one then. Um, I normally, I am a last two picks of the draft are your defense and kicker. Right. But I, I have noticed there gets to a point in mock drafts like that. There are a couple of guys in um, that I, I want in like the 13th, 14th, 15th rounds uh, of drafts. Those I'm not going to tell. I might tell you. I don't care. But um, the those ones, I, I'm fine waiting on them. But the, like the, the players that are available, in like the 10th, 11th round, I haven't loved it. So I have been going defense in like a 16 or a 15 round draft. I've been going defense like 10th or 11th round. I've run a couple of mock drafts, again, based on the 14-team format, and they start peeling off of the board in round eight and nine. I'm like, what is going on? Now, I don't know if part of that is the lack of actual real users in mm -hmm. those mock drafts, because that seems absurdly high to me. Yeah. 
So maybe it's just picking off the highest uh, draft position, whatever it be. But a, a lot but, of those go off of ADP. So yeah. that, that is so like where if, they are going. So like I, I just, that seems too early. But at the same time, I know what a good defense and a good kicker does. Like I'm, I'm used to streaming defenses. I'm okay with yeah. finding who's playing the Arizona Cardinals this week. Yeah. Um, at least early in the season. So like I'm okay with that. But man, I'll take a good kicker on an offense that's going to be on the right half of the field more often than not. And you know what? Okay, you got to settle for a point here, a point there. And then they start booting 40s. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're not so sad. Let's keep keep it rolling with my uh, my Baltimore stack. We'll, we'll go with uh, Lamar, <laughs> Zay Flowers, and then uh, lock in Tucker right after you draft. Maybe even before. Do a, a Tucker-Lamar stack. I mean, Every let's, point Baltimore scoring this year, baby. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> Okay, so I kind of stole your one, so I do want to ask you this one because this is near and dear to my heart. I had him last year. I'm a Tennessee Titans fan. How worried are you about Derrick Henry? You talk about Travis Kelsey being 34. Yeah. Derrick Henry's only 29. And when I say only 29, I say only 29. But that's ancient for a running back who had 349 carries last year. And there's all sorts of data sets out there to suggest that running backs that have that age and that workload absolutely crumble yeah the so, thing is they aren't that guy right like derrick henry is is that dude um so i'm where he is going in drafts right now i'm not worried like he okay. he is going uh right now adp of 17 he was I, rb4 last year just for the record right yeah he's going as rb8 behind tony pollard um i would 100 percent gleefully I, I would skip around the table first, quickly, because we only have 30 seconds in this draft, which, by the way, thank you, Logo. Um, but I would rapidly skip around the table and then pick Derrick Henry with the uh, the 17th overall pick. So I like th- th- there is some concern there. I-, I think that if you do draft Derrick Henry going with um, Ty J Spears, the-, the running back who they drafted this year, I, I think that would make some sense to, to kind of get that handcuff. Yeah, because when Derek, if Derrick Henry gets hurt, they're not all of a sudden going to be like, oh, well, guess we have to throw it 50 times now. They're still going to try to, to stick within what they know. So I would then try to get Spears as a, a bit of a, a handcuff there. That's one of the few situations in the league where I would actually want the handcuff. Okay, so from a strategy perspective, whether Henry's your first running back or second running back, you're going to handcuff at least your top RB. Is that is that yeah. Peter Klein's school of... Nine million drafts. That that is just for Derrick Henry specifically. Like I don't, okay. um, I don't need Elijah Mitchell for uh for for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I don't need um Tyler Algier for Atlanta or whoever Saquon Barkley's backup is. But I think because there is a bit more potential volatility with, with Derrick Henry, um, I, I would probably look to to back him up. Yeah. Okay. And just a final one for me as we wrap up. You said all you right. wouldn't tell me, and then you said you would tell me who you're looking at in 13, 14, 15. By all means, toss some names out that I'm going to write down right now, and hopefully I draft right before you. Uh, Darnell Mooney is one who I've been getting late in drafts. Uh, he's going to be the, the wide receiver. I see you actually writing it down quite literally. Um, he is the, the wide receiver too, for the bears who I think is going to that. That's an offense that I think is going to be throwing a lot more. I think he is very suited. Um, I, I think he does move ahead of, um, Chase Claypool, sorry, in the, uh, the depth chart out there in Chicago. So uh, I think that the, um, going with uh, a Darnell Mooney in that spot is certainly one that I feel comfortable with. And I think, uh, Romeo dubs wide receiver, for the um, Green Bay Packers is set to take a, a step forward this year. I don't think things are going to fall off that badly in Green Bay this year, and I, I think Romeo Dubs has a, a chance to, to take a step forward. I had Dubs on my list. I'm not going to lie. I can scratch that one off right now because Peter Klein, the uh, fantasy football guru who's already ran 10 simulations in various <laughs> different spots on his own podcast, is clearly coming to play. Owen Nolan, Owen Noling. Nolan inning it. How do you say that with an ing on the end? Owen Nolaning. Yeah, you said it a lot better than I did. <laughs> now, granted, I was trying to say it on the fly. Very difficult. Yeah, I gave you a second to think about it. Yeah, I had a chance to to put that all together. Now, just to really put the ball on it, you know the participants. Yeah. Who's going to be the most competitive in terms of not not fielding oh, the best man. team? Who's going to be the sorest loser? I guess is the better way to put that. Man. That is a really, really good question. Uh, the, the honest to God answer would probably be me. 
I was um, going to say me, so <laughs> all right. I was like, I was so like ready for you to point Perfect. across. Yeah. All right. You then. Uh, I, I will pick you there for that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, all right. We have to uh, take a break. When we come back, Julian McKenzie will be stopping by. He was in Lethbridge for uh, Bill Peters' introduction to the Lethbridge Hurricanes. We have a lot to talk about with Julian, and we will do that on the other side here as Sportsnet Today continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Just a bit after 2.30 here on Sportsnet Today, I'm Peter Klein. He is Aaron Vickers. Very pleased to be joined now down the Atlas Pizza Sports Bar guest hotline by Julian McKenzie from The Athletic, among a number of other places. Uh, Julian, how are you today, sir? Doing very well yourselves. Good to hear your voices. Well, thank you. Uh, doing uh, doing well. I, I just gave uh, Vickers a, a verbal lashing about how badly I'm going to beat everyone in our fantasy football draft tonight. So, uh, yeah, feeling good. Okay. All right. The confidence is there. Yeah. I hear it. I hear it. Good luck, sir. And I'll, I'll just say this. I'm not confident about anything. So when I am actually confident about something, <laughs> y- y'all should be really worried about it. I have major confidence know, issues, man. but when I have it, it's like, yeah, watch out. I uh, don't know, man. Just talking, talking, talking pretty brazy before the draft, man. I'm just saying, man. Just be careful. I'll bark no careful, bite man. for this, man. I'm marking it right now. I'm telling you, man. Hey, look. man. Look, you got to. We got the games have to be played, sir. That's all I'm going to say. Games were being played before. I, I even referenced Owen Nolan. Like, I'm calling my shot straight over your right shoulder for uh, for this one. Told him my entire strategy. Don't even care. Um, so that's the fun stuff we're going to be talking about. That probably ends now. As uh, you were at the press conference introducing Bill Peters as the Lethbridge Hurricanes head coach, um, that, that news kind of trickled out the, uh, the, the night before. Uh, I know we're going back uh, a couple of days, but I guess what was your reaction when you heard the news that Bill Peters was going to be back coaching in North America? Uh, a, a lot of surprise. Uh, we have to mention that um, some reporting had been done by... Uh, Greg Drennan, who I'm not sure which outlet he writes for, but I believe he was the one who put that out first. And then I know Greg Wyshynski kind of amplified that story. And then uh, I just tried to see if I could confirm it on my own. And we had another colleague at The Athletic who had another source reach out about it. Uh, It was pretty surprising to hear that uh, Bill Peters was put in that position. But also at the same time, we've heard stories. We've seen people who may not necessarily be the best characters in terms of some past transgressions and i understand that in saying that some people will say well who are you to throw stones but you know we could get into a whole other discussion on that but it was just pretty surprising and then to go to the press conference in lethbridge and to see him there and hear that he had not apologized directly to akima lu and moments before he goes on uh, goes up to this lectern to cry and and say how sorry he is akima lu reveals this message he had had back and forth with this uh this current nhl coach about bill and it felt very hollow and it felt very disingenuous on the part of bill peters and but at the same time people in, in who like hockey who care about these issues have been so conditioned to see people who aren't necessarily the best people still end up on top anyway. And this is what this ultimately comes down to. Bill Peters uh, did not have to apologize to Akima Lou to get a job back in North America. There are people above him with the team that he works for and the Western Hockey League who saw the work that he had done with uh, the Shades of Humanity organization, but just felt, hey, you know what? He didn't have to apologize to Akima Lou. That was enough. And I don't know how that would stand if there were other people in that organization of color who would notice something like this. But that's basically what it comes down to. The powers that be uh, would normally overlook that stuff anyway. And it benefited Bill Peters. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, and you touched on a lot of it right there, Julian. But I'm just curious what the the mood or the tone or the atmosphere, the temperature, whatever acronym you or not acronym, whatever adjective you want to use to describe it. What was the tone in that press conference and the media scrum? The, the sort of collection of media talking directly to Bill Peters uh, after that little introductory uh, statement, I guess you would say, from Bill Peters? Um, I mean, it, I don't want to say that it felt like any other press conference, but I definitely feel that uh, there were some moments where, you know, either Bill would say something or the beginning for sure, where he takes a moment and he sobs and I'm just looking around and I'm like, really is this happening and i wasn't sure how many other people were really taking notice of that 
um, there were a handful of local media outlets out there who were asking questions. Um, TSN was also there as well. Um, it, it was it was a pretty I was I was pretty surprised uh, that at the amount of people who were present at the press conference, uh, the representation that was there. Uh, there were some some fans who were were also there. Uh, I, one thing I probably wish I could have done is probably just go to some of them and just get their sense of what they were feeling about all of that in order to paint a much better picture about what the true atmosphere was like and how they genuinely feel about it. And maybe if there was an opportunity for some of those people to ask questions directly to uh, the WHL or to the T, maybe that would also provide another picture too. Maybe that also would have been a good idea. But it just felt very weird. Just very, I would say, kind of a weird situation. It's like really like this, this kind of comes together sort of at the last minute, really. I mean, training camp starts for Lethbridge today. And the day before, you're unveiling this coach who happens to be a very controversial pick. The, the there's obviously a number of parts uh, on this that that caught me off guard. A the, the fact that he hadn't reached out until last week, which just you know I'll, I'll believe a lot of coincidences. That that's probably one that I, I'm not going to, to to believe in necessarily. That oh I I just so happened to have reached out uh, a week before. I, well, I and, and just for clarification, job. reached out through a third party. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reached out through a third party. Yes, through um, a head coach, uh, yes. which is uh, apparently more reaching out than the Lethbridge Hurricanes or WHL did. Um, all of those parts really surprised me. I, I guess what's your God, these are such lazy questions. But what what's your reaction to that from um, like basically the, the amount of I don't want to say work, but the, the amount of reaching out that was done in, in this process? Would you call it work? I don't think this is a sufficient amount of work. No, in, in order to vet a candidate like that, who you know has that history, and sure, fine, they went through whatever work they did with the or the consulting group, uh, Shades of Humanity. I, 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 I missed this in my story as well, but I believe he also completed a course at Cornell University with regards to uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, but you didn't take the time to talk to Akimalu, who was the victim in this situation. You didn't talk to players, uh, players of color around the league. I mean, I don't know the full Lethbridge roster offhand, but could you imagine being a player of color who sees that press conference and sees all the backlash going on and it happens to get traded in junior, right? It, it, it does happen. And you end up on this guy's team. Do you, would you feel, I don't know if I, if I was ever in that situation, I don't know if I'd ever feel comfortable with Bill Peters as my coach. And I would love to know how other players of color would feel in that scenario as well. I, I, I it was just, it just felt really weird to have the WHL say that they've fostered an environment with, that would be ideal for, for players of color through their, uh, their DEI policy that they have, but also they let Bill Peters in without him finishing his work that he says he has to do in order to warrant that second chance. And he's, he's already won. He's already gotten in a second chance to coach back in North America, coaching young men. Like, I mean, sure. You're saying he has to continue doing all this work, but shouldn't he do more of it before he puts himself in this position I mean, that makes sense to me. That might make sense yeah. to other people. The WHL and, and the Lethbridge Hurricanes obviously see it very differently. And even like, I can't imagine being the, the parent of a, a player of color who like, if I'm a, the mom and dad out in Kamloops or something, and my kid happens to, to end up in Lethbridge, like it, it just, it, it would all seem so almost, it, it would not seem like a great situation. I mean, you have to, I mean, but at the end of the day, right? The powers that be the composition of the league the people in charge miss that stuff and no one they they're not thinking about you know some player of color going to some small town uh i don't i've i had never been to lethbridge until yesterday so i'm not going to judge them on what they look like the racial population and, and all that but we'll just say a small town and they don't see a lot of people who look like them and they don't think about that type of stuff so i well i have been saying i i am surprised about how this has become a story when you really think about it and when it really boils down to the finer details, of course it's not that big of a surprise. So for that junior player who has to, if it ever gets to that point where they have to play under Bill Peters, you know, I, I, I wonder how they feel about it. If they just try to brush that off and just play, or if Bill Peters, as he says, will try to be this genuine person who says that they have truly learned, but I don't really believe him. To be honest, uh, just off the fact that he skipped such an important step. And by the way, we've made this conversation all about race. We have not even 
touched on the fact that uh, the the Mike the Mikhail Jordan story about him kicking his players like that that's a whole other thing in this as well uh, yeah. that kind of got pushed to the side a little bit but I know uh, at least one question about it was asked uh, but still like it was just like I I, I took it to the race point just because obviously being a racialized person. Uh, that was a singular focus I wanted to focus on, and it was a very obvious thing to do. But there's a lot of questions that could be asked about Bill Peters that I, I, I just personally don't know if this, like, I like just talk about thinking this one through, but this doesn't seem like a sage decision to do. It doesn't. So from the Lethbridge Hurricanes perspective, from what you heard and saw in that press conference, what do you think makes the team comfortable with Peters? Is that he's taken, they deem that he's taken the proper steps to educate himself and and has truly learned to kind of steal your phrase? Like what would make the team green light this hiring in your in your opinion? I mean, the fact that they, well, one, they said that he went through all this anti-racism training for one, but I can't help but not ignore the relationship between Peter Anholt, the GM of the team, and Bill Peters. I'm not saying they're bosom buddies, but they've known each other from the 90s when they were both coaches in the WHL, which no wonder he ended up back in the WHL. That's where Bill Peters was cutting his teeth as a young coach. The very last year he was in the league before he became uh, a coach on the NHL circuit, he won a championship in Spokane. Like, there's familiarity there with this person and uh, there was definitely familiarity between Peter and, and, and Bill. And I know Peter tried to reiterate that it was a professional relationship. I have a hard time divorcing that from the ability for Bill to get an opportunity while also overlooking crucial details in his quote unquote rehabilitation process. This has all been um, such a a frustrating thing. And I, I kind of feel like, um, like not that the, the, the two things were, were similar. They, they just kind of happened at the same time, but, um, with, with like Mike Babcock getting the, the green light to, to come back, it, it kind of feels like, okay, well, other people are starting to do this now. So, so we can kind of start to, to do this now. It kind of feels like there's a, well, if, if Babcock is clear, then maybe people will let Bill Peters be clear as well. You know? I mean, that's a fair way of looking at it, but also one thing I think about as well. I mean, there are only so many people who genuinely care about that sort of stuff too yeah i mean i'm happy i was able to write about that story but uh i'm sure there are people in my mentions right now who are saying well this person should deserve a second chance and there's people who are going to go comment on my article today they're going to read the article uh i did the interview with you i'm doing the interview with you guys right now i was on a radio station in montreal earlier today um probably do another podcast about this we're going to talk about this for all of today maybe tomorrow then labor day is going to hit and then I sound kind of depressed talking about it. We're going to forget about it. That's basically what's going to happen. And it's not as if like, oh, no, like the, the Mike Babcock is the only person who we've been very weird about with stuff that they've done that we've also forgotten about. You know, there are people with connections to racism in the hockey world who have found ways to go up. I mean, John Van Breesbrook still has a high position with USA Hockey, but he is famous for saying the N-word to Trevor Daly once upon a time when they were in junior uh, Tony D'Angelo with so many different stories about this player, uh, including stories of him uh, using racial slurs while being a junior player. He's an HL player, just signed a new deal with a team this offseason. Is he back in Carolina? Like, there's a history of people who are not the best characters, uh, whether with race, whether with so many other social issues you want to bring up, who, because of talent, because of some relationship that they have, people feel, especially in hockey, that they can get that second chance and essentially get fast-tracked without completing all these steps to show that they are deserving of a second chance. So if you're the Lethbridge Hurricanes and you maybe you don't necessarily think of those examples I brought up, but maybe you think about the Mike Babcock thing and you think, okay, well, if he's able to get an opportunity, why not him? I mean, Bill Peters is still... It's not as if Bill Peters has been sitting on his ass not working. He was in Russia for the last two years. He's been coaching somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. Like... I don't know. Like, it, I, I think I think the powers that be in some of those situations, they are they could easily overlook uh, the morality of such a thing because they want to win and they feel these people that they say they know so well and are good judges of their character will lead them to where they want to go. And you know, especially in a sport like hockey that's predominantly white, stuff like that sort of gets excused, and it's a bit disgusting. Not a bit disgusting. It is disgusting. 
it, it, that that comment about um, I, I've known him for 20 years and the, the blah, 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 blah. Th- that sounded so similar. And, and Aaron, you were covering the team at the time. That sounded so similar to, to when Sure Living hired him um, when, when Peters was, was coming in. And it was, I didn't even interview anybody else. Worked at the guy at the world. And th- this was my guy. It just that that sounded so similar to the the thing that w- was brought in uh, was brought up when, when Bill Peters came to Calgary. And it's the well, I've known this guy for a thousand years. So how, how could he possibly be anything? But but this brilliant hockey mind. Mind. And that, that goes to uh, another level of, of a bit of a, a old boys club in uh, different spots in the, the world of hockey that can lead to this kind of thing being overlooked as well. Yeah, that's basic. I, I really think it's something that cannot be ignored in discussing the Bill Peters story. You know, this isn't just a team that just said, OK, well, you know, we've seen his coaching credentials. This is a team. Uh, at least there's one obvious link of through the GM that someone has known Bill for as long as they have, and they were willing to bypass all of his other stuff in order for him to have a job. Like, there's no way you could ignore that in this story. Absolutely not. Does the optics of this change if if Bill Peters had reached out to Akeem Alou a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, whenever, and now he's getting reintegrated to coaching in North America? Like, does that change the optics in your opinion at all? If a direct apology was issued to Akeem Alou in the past? If Akeem accepted it, yes. I think that's the biggest thing we also have to consider as well. It's not on me. It's not on you. It's not on Peter. It's not on the Lethbridge Hurricanes even or the WHL to determine whether or not uh, Bill Peters is really worthy of forgiveness. We could look at whatever attempts he's done to put himself uh, on, a, on a position of redemption and, and, and warrant forgiveness, I suppose, and we could you know, give him points on trying if it comes from a genuine place. But at the end of the day, Akima Lu is the victim here, and it's on him to say, okay, I accept your apology. And that goes into a whole other discussion about apologies and forgiveness and whether or not a person uh, feels, you know, when individual people have their own ways of administering forgiveness. And I've always been of the belief that with forgiveness, you don't do it because the other person needs it. You do it because you need it for your own peace of mind. But because of the fact that Bill missed this comp- this step, 13 years. Like, I understand this story was revealed four years ago because of Akeem going on Twitter and saying this happened. And then all this other stuff falls out. This happened 13 years ago, you know? And we, 2009, 2010. Social media, you know, maybe a bit of it in its infancy. Cell phones existed. Email existed. The phone, it's you could do a phone call. There were a myriad of ways over the last 13 years that Bill Peters could have tried to reach out to Akeem to say that he's sorry if he felt that way. And ultimately, the fact that it took him this long and an opportunity to come as it did, that tells me that Bill was not genuine and he was only doing it because it was convenient. And at that, as we've reiterated in this interview, um, he only went, he sought to do it through somebody else uh, and hope that, oh, maybe this would all get blown over. Like, no, I, I think it was, it's kind of sad, really, when you really think about it. Bill Peters trying to get this opportunity and thinking, oh, yeah, right. I should probably try to mend things up with that guy. I said the N word to a whole bunch of times because I really didn't like the music he was playing in his locker room. That's, you know, and, and hey, man, you know, I'm going to apologize to everyone in this room with all these journalists and all these cameras around because. I now, after 13 years of of that happening, um, you know, I now see the impact of my ways. And when I talk to the media, I'm definitely going to tell them the story about when Wayne Simmons had a banana thrown at him. But I'm also going to present it as new knowledge and just kind of show that I'm actually a compassionate human being. And I realize that other people shouldn't go through that. There was just so much crap that happened in that press conference that I just personally... Like I, I, I really had to like hold myself back and not like get angry because I just I don't like being I don't like being told I'm an idiot. I don't like being made to feel like an idiot. And there were just points like especially that particular Wayne Simmons thing that happened. And I know that wasn't written about anywhere. But if you go back on the interviews, you can hear that there were things said at that press conference and things done at that press conference that maybe some of the other people didn't feel that 
but I probably felt it. And I think some other persons of color who may have been in that room too, would also feel the same way too. We were made to feel like idiots. And the fact that like, Oh, well, no one's going to actually care about this big cloud hanging over Bill Peters. But uh, no, there are people that would actually care about that. The, the, the whole, I'm not apologizing because I need to educate myself more. It's like, look, you can do both. You know, like you, like just saying, I'm sorry, doesn't then cut off the, the education stream. You can, it, does not take a whole lot of knowledge to say i'm sorry and then continue to to learn after that part to me was like that is such a bs excuse that someone came up with like okay you're gonna be asked this just say this and they'll probably blow over like that that one felt like just the biggest load of garbage but if you're bill peters why do you need to go through all those extra steps peter you already got a job in Lethbridge. Right. You, training camp starts today. Yeah. It started today. You already got a job. You're going to be dealing with all these young kids. I don't, I, again, I don't know what their roster is like, but if you find a way to make this team all, you know, like a good competitive team in the dub, like all these people locally are going to love you. The team's going to love you. You get that chance. What what other extra work do you need to do? You yeah. already won. You already got your opportunity. You're back in North America. You're already a step below uh, some other team say, hey, man, you know what? We could hire you as assistant coach. What if he got, goes through two good years in Lethbridge? We'll just say two. Two good years. And then some GM. Uh, I am not. I don't mean to throw Tree into this, but what if Brad Tree is just like, you know what? Hire him in Toronto. I don't know. Man. Yeah. Like, it, it does feel like it's like, okay, one step away, and Lethbridge has done all the, the, the hard work of having to deal with the backlash, so, so we'll be fine. Uh, another part of this, and definitely low on the, the list of priorities. I don't even think he's that good. Um, like they they had to hold a, a media availability a week before all of the the, the Akeem Alou stuff came out. With Bradshaw Living said, "Hey, we're not going to fire Bill Peters just because it's become very apparent that to everyone watching this team that he's entirely lost the locker room." Then he had two years in Russia and had one playoff win to show for it. I, I just don't think he's that good of a coach. I have questions about. Uh, I mean, there was a time when he was coaching, and a lot of people thought, "Oh, yeah, this guy should be the." Next man up, he's a smart guy, but you're right. I, I don't know if the credentials, at least on the NHL side, I would like to see more of that would suggest that he really is a good coach and at least more deserving than somebody else who deserves it. Like this guy hasn't been in the league in like, what, 15 years? Like there have been other younger coaches who have come up, surely, who might be deserving of a chance. Like why this guy over somebody else? I have questions about that too. Uh, all right, the uh, the piece on The Athletic right now, Bill Peters' return to junior coaching is another sign of hockey's racial blind spots. Uh, it is uh, absolutely a must-read. Julian, thank you uh, so much for, for doing this today. We uh, really appreciate it. Uh, have, a, have a good one, sir. You too, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, there is Julian McKenzie from The Athletic and a number of other places uh, discussing what all went down with uh, Bill Peters and the Lethbridge Hurricanes over the last couple of days. He joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. That is going to do it for our one of the program. Uh, two uh, two segments that were miles apart in, uh, tone? in, in tone. <laughs> yes, uh, we will get back to the sportsy stuff here on the other side. In our number two, we will get into the Calgary Stampeders report as they have a Labor Day Classic to play coming up on Monday against the Elks of Edmonton. But coming up next, Ben Shulman will talk with us about the Blue Jays. Uh, they didn't get anyone from the LA Angels dumping half of their roster. We will discuss where the Blue Jays stand going into the final month of the regular season. That when Sportsnet Today continues here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.